like trying to get back on that horse and ride. I hadn't been off in three years. I think I got seven weeks <laughs> built up uh, because I hadn't been off. But it was, it's, was good to be off, but now it's good to be back in the saddle again. And so with the Lord's help, we're going we're gonna to study His Word. If you want to bow with me in prayer for a moment as we prepare. Father, as we prepare our hearts and our minds, we've been worshiping you in, in spirit and in truth and in song and in prayer and in praise. And so, Father, now we're going to open up your holy and divine word that was God-breathed. This that was written occurred several thousand years ago, but it's alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, and it was made for today. And Father, it's leading us into the direction of making us to fulfill all things through you and to prepare us with everything we need for life and godliness. So Father, we pray that right now our hearts and our minds will get clear. That we will receive your word with, with joy. We will receive it with love of the truth. And we pray that you'll help us to understand it, to apply it, to use it, that we might glorify you in our walk. And we thank you for your son, Jesus. We praise you for that sacrifice. It's in his name that we pray and ask these things. Amen. Miss Shannon, if you would like to come on up. Before we get, get into this, Shannon has asked, asked me for a prayer. And she wanted Wilma to come up with her. My two elders, Dean and Andy. You want to explain a little bit about what you had, or you just want me to tell them? Or? You can tell them. Okay, she's, she's had some breast cancer, and she's got some things going on, and she would really enjoy the prayers of everyone, and so we said that we will pray for you, and I'm going to put a little bit of the oil on here for you, and so will the elders. And You know, the reason we do this, it says in James, it says that if says that if any of you are sick, call for the elders of the church to anoint you with oil and to pray for you. And it's the prayers of faith that reach up to God that comes back down and motivates God to, to heal. It's not in anything that we are saying or anything about us, but this is a prayer of faith to be offered up to God for him to act on that behalf. And so we want to do that. And I wanted to explain to you why we do this. And we've had so many people who have been helped by the prayers. Because God honors those. And we're going to see that again today as we go. And so as we all join together in a circle that is not unbroken. Father in heaven we humbly bow. And we ask for your blessing to be upon Shannon. She has come here this day, Father, seeking you. Seeking your face, Father, and seeking your grace and seeking your power. And I pray, Father, that you would look down upon her with your love and mercy. I pray that the blood of your Son cleanses us from all sin. 
And that you work mightily, Father, to help heal, to help comfort, to bring that peace. It takes a lot of courage to stand before a lot of folks that you don't really know real well and to say, I need help and I want prayer and I want God in my life and involved with this. So, Father, we pray that, that you have heard our prayer. We pray that you act on this. And most importantly, we do it so that you will be glorified, that it will show that you are among us, Father, and that we glorify you in all things and exalt you. In Jesus' name, we ask these blessings. Amen. 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 Thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. Thank you, guys. Thank you. It does. It takes a lot of courage to come up and to do that. And I also had written down for those prayers, I've got several others, but I had Dana and uh, Dottie and Patty and Leroy and um, Ray with the praise report of being off of his meds and Susan uh, who's going to be having brain surgery and we've had a lot of things. And um, um, I know that there's a 40th anniversary going on back here in the back. I got notified today. Anyone else having any anniversaries uh, Yes, Miss Livy, uh, Judy, and Nathan. Well, we've got Wilma and Gerald. We got a lot of anniversaries. What about birthdays this month? How many birthdays we got? I, how many birthdays in June? I know there's some because I've been seeing them. Okay, um, let's let's sing a June birthday song for everybody for June. You may have done it last week, but I wasn't here. Happy birthday to you, happy birthday to you, every day of the year, you feel Jesus near. Happy birthday to you, happy birthday to you, in the best year you've ever had. Amen. So happy birthdays, happy anniversaries, and the reason we do that is because we're a family. And this is, this is what we do as a family. So if you're ready, let's turn to Joshua chapter 10. Let's get this thing rolling. I want to I thank Lynn for, for filling in last week. I'm sure that he did a wonderful job. He came highly recommended to me. And uh, so, so I, I know that he did. And he was thankful because I'll tell you what. It's because you guys are such a loving congregation. I assured him. You see, he had a stroke about a year ago. And he still had a little bit of a speech thing going on and a memory thing that would get him kind of bogged up. And he said, I don't know if I could do it. He said, I'm good most of the time, but every once in a while I slip up. And I said, you know what? You enter into those doors, your family. And this family of God is going to support you. And they're going to shout amen. And they're going to be praying for you. And by the time we got done talking, he said, I'm doing it. I'm going it. And I know that you guys honored that and took care of him. And so thank you for doing that in my stead. And uh, boy, it's been a couple weeks now, but if you'll remember two weeks ago, we was talking about that battle of the five kings that was coming up against uh, Gibeon. Because you see, the Gibeonites, it, it looked like they had, they had tricked um, Joshua and the children of Israel into accepting them 
as servants. And then they found out that they should have done away with them because they were the people of the land. But what it was, it was like you and I. We were aliens and strangers to the household of God. But then when we heard the word of truth, we decided that we wanted to be part of the household of God and no longer a part of the world system that we were in. And so we made that decision to come to God. Well, that's what they did. And they came to Him the best way that they know how. Just like what we have done. So after that, and they were now a part of the family of God, they're they're sitting there. There had been these five kings that tried to make an alliance to go against Joshua and the children of Israel as they was coming through the land of Canaan. Well, Gibeon should have been a part of that, and they thought that, and the five kings thought that they were, but whenever they saw that in their eyes they become traitors, they had left that confederation of the five kings and was now on the side of God of heaven, the God of Israel. Now the five kings wanted to come against Gibeon. And we said that that represents you and I. Because the moment you make that decision that I want to come to Christ, and I want to be a Christian, I want to be a part of the kingdom of God, guess what happens first thing? world hates you, don't it? And the battle begins, and all of the kings of this world want to come against you. They want to bring all of their power and all their forces against you. And you know what they did? Whenever Gibeon saw that these five kings and all of these troops were coming against them, you remember what they did? Anyone? They stood there. And who did they holler for? They hollered for God. They hollered for Joshua for help. They said, Joshua. And you remember who Joshua represents, right? Jesus. And, and the power of God who represents Jesus because Joshua is the Hebrew term for Jesus, it's Yeshua. So, so they called for the Lord. They, they, they called for Joshua in this case, but in the physical sense, but in the spiritual sense, it's like us when we call for the name of the Lord to come and help. Joshua was in Gilgal, in the circle of stones, the place where the everlasting life. So he leaves Gilgal immediately on those prayers. Immediately he leaves, just like he does when we... He is immediately alerted as we pray for him. And, and he left Gilgal, and it said he traveled all night and came that next day and came up against those five kings. Because Gibeon now was a part of that body of Israel, the, the family of God. And so, with you and I, we get called out of the world. Do you know what the, you know what the name for the church is? If you, we see church, but you know how, how it was written? It's a term called ekklesia. That was what the, that if you, the Greek word ekklesia is translated church in the Bible. Ekklesia is a word that means to be called out from something to something else. So you and I, when we hear the gospel message... We are called out from the world, from the place of those five kings of this world. We are called out from the world to Christ. We are called out and translated into a new kingdom. They became part of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Israel, instead of the kingdom of the world. And that's what happens when you and I, we get called out by the word of God. 
Faith comes by. Amen. It comes by hearing. Hearing by the word of God. I love it when you guys quote that back to me. And you understand that. So when that happens. We get called through that hearing and that faith. We are called into this body of Christ. The kingdom just like they were. Let me show you how it goes. Acts chapter 2. I love this. I, I've, I've went over it a few times. But I never get tired of going back to Acts chapter 2. That's the day that the church as we know it began. Before that it was the Jewish system of law. Christ even lived under that. But then after he was raised up. And then after his death, burial and resurrection. And then he spent some days still talking to his disciples. And then on that 40th day, he arose into the clouds and left. And as they were standing there looking, there was a man in white said, Why are you guys get, standing here gazing up into the, the sky? This same Jesus that you saw is going to come back in the clouds one day just the way he left. But he told you to stay here. So Acts chapter 2, they're all gathered together in one place and they're waiting for whatever God has in store for them. And the Spirit come upon them like a mighty rushing wind. And people started gathering out. What was this sound? What's going on? And Peter preaches the first gospel sermon to them. And he ends it. He said, you guys crucified the Son of God. God had made Him to be Lord and Christ and you all wouldn't believe His word while He was here and you crucified Him and therefore let all of Israel know assuredly that this same Jesus that you crucified is now both Lord and Christ and they were pricked deep in their heart because that hurt and they realized what they had done and, and what they had missed out on and how can we make that good? What do we need to do and he said I'm glad you asked he said repent which only means to change your mind about things you did not believe in him but now you do so so follow through on that repent be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this is a promise to you, to your children, to all who are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And then you see as it says up there that calling. So they heard the word of God. They were pricked in their heart. Faith comes by that hearing. Hearing by the word of God, they heard it. It pricked them in their heart. It, it has to have action to follow through. What happens when you hear, you have faith, you're pricked in your heart, you're moved to do something. He said, arise then and be baptized. Every one of you. And you will receive that gift. And this promise is to you. God's made a promise. It's to you, all who were afar off. Even as many as this gospel will reach and will be called by it. So we are called by that. And with many other words did he go on and testify about this. And it says then that you need to be saved from this generation. And they that gladly received his word. When you hear that gospel message, you've got a choice. You've got one of two choices. You can accept that word. Or you can reject that word. You've had now the opportunity. Those that gladly received the word. 
they were baptized that day, and that same day was added to them. You see, when that happens, you are taken out of the world's system and transferred into the kingdom of God, into a new place. You are no longer bound under the world system. So they that received it were added to them about 3,000 souls. And then it says, look in verse 47, they were praising God, having favor with all the people. And who added them to the church? The Lord. And He adds them at that point when you received the word and you were baptized, that He added them to the church. What does church mean? Ecclesia, the called out. You were called, as many as the Lord our God shall call. You get called out when you hear the word and you believe it and you act upon that. And now you are added to the kingdom of God, which is the church, those who are called out of the world of darkness and placed into now the kingdom of His dear Son. Well, let's see how it says it in Colossians. Because it says this in chapter 1, verse 12 through 14. It says that, uh, I better find it. Giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us to be able to be partakers of the inheritance. Not just any inheritance, the inheritance of the saints in light. That's talking about you and I. Who were delivered. That's called out. You were delivered us from the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son in whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins. And you ought to shout hallelujah, amen to that. Because you see what he talked about there in Acts chapter 2 when he said that as many as our Lord God shall call and then they acted upon that and it pricked their hearts. He... Paul's telling the Colossians, and this is what this means. This means that God at that point in your faith and, and you're saved by the blood of Christ and forgiven of your sins, He took you from the powers of darkness and translated you. He transferred you into His kingdom of His dear Son. Praise God. Now I want to tell you a couple of these words that's used up here. Delivered and translated. That word delivered means to be snatched up unto one's self. That word means, we'll put it like this. If you are not in Christ, you may not know it. But you're just like about a two or three year old little baby who's went to the zoo and you're standing at the, at the gorilla cage and there's a big silver back there and they don't have safety things in place and so you're getting ready to walk through that little bar and go see that little teddy bear monkey over there. I want to go see the monkey. And, and as you get ready to go through those bars as a little three-year-old, what would a parent do that loves that child? You are going to rush to it and you are going to snatch that baby away from the danger and bring it unto yourself and get away, aren't you? That is what this word means. It means you don't realize it, but you are in danger. You are 
a part of the kingdom of darkness and he has his hands on you and he is luring you into that cage and when you hear the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ and you act upon that, he snatches you from the danger. He delivered you from the power of darkness, snatched you unto himself and protected you And then He translated you from that kingdom into His. You just got adopted as a son of God. And you are a part of His family now. And He translated you out of that danger and out of that darkness into the safety of His kingdom. And that's what that means. And that's what what we've done as the church. Whenever you follow that, that's what that means. And that's what the Gibeonites did when they believed and they called on Joshua and said, we just want to be your servants. And now they're calling for him again. We'll get back to our subject. They're calling for him again in Joshua 10 because these kings, the world now that that hates you now because you translated from their kingdom into the other and you've been a traitor to Satan and so he's after you now. and He's sending all of his forces upon you. And so Joshua comes to the rescue, and I want, to know, want you to know how he answers prayer. If you remember in verse 12 from a couple weeks ago, he prayed that prayer and he said, before everyone, I don't know if I'd have the guts to do it before everyone, because he had so much faith that he did, because he said, Son, stand still over Gibeon, and moon, you stand still over the valley of Ajalon. What happens if that didn't happen? <laughs> he, he knew it would. You know why? Because God made a promise to him. God had already promised him up there in 6, 7, and 8 verses. He said, I have already delivered them into your hand. The, the game is over. I've already done it, so go do it. And so whenever he prayed, you see, it was beginning to be dark. The sun was going down. The moon was coming up. And they would have quit the battle. Who knows, they might have run away. The, 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 the five kings. Joshua said, Lord, you, you've promised the delivery. You said that you've already delivered into our hands. Something's got to happen so that that is because daylight is running out. Like they used to say in the old westerns, daylight's running out, it's short. So he said this, I know you promised me you would deliver. And I know that you're going to. So sun stands still, moon stands still, so that we can win this battle. And God is going to deliver on His promise in it. And we talked about that being probably one of the greatest miracles in the Bible that no one talks about. Because the earth is spinning at 850 miles an hour on its axis. And if you've ever seen something that's spinning that has it on it, and you just stop it, what happens to everything that's on it? Just goes flying everywhere, doesn't it? The Lord Jesus Christ holds everything together through the power of His Word. And He can... There is no scientific laws. There is only the laws of God from creation that He has put in place. Scientists just look at His creation and the things and then they make deductions from that. But they have no power at all to make anything like that happen. If you have a scientific law, that means you can make something happen and you can undo it. 
they don't have any laws of science. They have observations of God and His power. And God was able to stop the world, suspend time that was created in Genesis 1 when the revolution of the earth started and the evening and the morning was day one and the evening and the morning was day two. But He was able to stop that from spinning He was able to hold everything on this earth in place. There wasn't tidal waves of the ocean washing out continents like would have happened at that speed. He was able to calmly stop everything. And what else he did? You remember? You remember the asteroids? It says that in the battle that there were more asteroids that came, those hailstones it says, that these things have been in an orbit since creation for such a time as this. And when that was stopped, it was at the proper point and time that it says they were like guided missiles in the text there in Joshua 10. And each one of those missiles hit only the enemy, none of God's people. And more of the enemy were killed by the hailstones of God, those guided missiles, than they were by the edge of the sword of of Joshua and his army. That's a powerful God you serve. He acted on a prayer, on a promise. And so what I want you all to know is that if as we study the Bible, what are we always trying to learn? The promises of God. Why? Because God honors His Word and He honors His promises. And if you pray His Word and you pray His promises, God honors those. Look at the way He honored it with Joshua. He suspended the laws of creation and his divine establishment for 24 hours it said that the earth stood still in that place for one whole day so that he was 24 hours so that he was able to finish the battle as God fought for them God answers prayer but he surely answers prayer when it's prayed in according to his promises Sometimes it's not in the way we want them answered. But he always answers them in the way that they're supposed to be answered for his purpose. And so that's what he did there. So know that as one of your take-home points today. I've got to know the promises of God. And I've got to pray the promises of God. And the Lord honors his word on that. So Joshua believed it. That the enemy was already conquered. And he was able to pray a prayer that I don't know of anyone else who would have been so bold as saying stop the earth. And doing it out loud in front of all of his troops. I mean if the commander fails on that, he's going to be looked down upon by his men. But God honored that and began fighting for him. And I want you to know what it says there in verse 14 if you look up there. It says... That God honored it for His purpose and for His pleasure because of His promise. That there was no day like that before it or after it. That the Lord hearkened unto the voice of a man because the Lord fought for Israel. Praise God. And the Lord fights for His church too. I'm going to to tell you about it in a minute, but I'm going to give you a preview of of a coming attraction for today. And that preview is, you remember when Jesus was standing there and He said that upon this rock I will build prevail against it. Same thing as here. 
there, the Lord fought for Israel. And he says, I am going to build my church. The ecclesia. The called out people. I am going to build my body, my kingdom. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Because guess who fights for you? The same one that's fighting right there for Israel. He fought for Israel that day and he answered those prayers in a big way. And when I, oh, I say that, I want to say this too. The church and Israel don't need anybody but God. There's a lot of folks that says we've got to have so-and-so helping us and we've got to do this and that. We've got to turn it over to God in faith like Joshua did. We still have to be proactive to do what the Word of God says because I'm telling you, God fought for him. but guess who is holding the edge of the sword? The army. So you've got to have faith along with doing. He never has you to say, oh, I'm going to sit back on my haunches and on my ease. And God, you said you was going to provide the victory. I ain't going out there in the battle. I'm not picking up that sword. I'm not putting myself in danger. You go do it. No. God said, I will give you the promise. I will fight for you, but I'm doing it through you. Because you are my warriors now. And so... He fought for Israel. He will always fight for Israel. Israel don't need no one else. And the church doesn't need anyone else either. They, we have God fighting for us in His promises. So then the Lord of hosts was who was protecting it. Now, there was not ever a day like that before it or after it that God responded in such a big way to the prayers of a man. It said, and then the rest of the chapter goes into some details about the battle and the, the cave where they all hid and the rock that was thrown. Joshua goes in. They, they said, throw, throw big stones in front of that cave where the five kings went in. And we'll take off. We'll leave a guard there so that they don't get... We're going to come back and get them, but we're going to finish the battle while it's going on. So they took care of all of the battle and it tells about that in the rest of the chapter. They come back and they take care of those kings that was in that cave. One day I'm going, to, I'm, going to, I'm going to share a message with you from the Word of God from the New Testament to where it says that, that the Lord Jesus makes an, an open display of His victory over Satan and over sin. Well, a picture of that was right here. Because Joshua, when they come back from the victory, he said, remove the stones from the cave. And they brought the five kings out of the cave. And he put his foot on them, on their throat. And he said, thus you will not ever be afraid of your enemies. Because what we are doing now is what the Lord God shall always do to your enemies. And so every one of his commanders put their foot upon the throat of those kings before he slayed them. Why? To show that through Jesus Christ, we also have power over the enemy. That they don't have any power over us as long as we are in Christ. That Jesus is our ultimate authority and power. And he has subdued the enemy already. He's already won. Haven't you read the end of the book? He's already won the victory. So he's trying to let us know, don't be afraid of him. Put your foot on him to know that you're going to have trial. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm just saying we've already won. And we've already got the victory. And so then we move on. Let's turn the page with me if you're there. But at the very end, 
Joshua returned. That's, that's what I started with before we prayed and came into this. Joshua returned, the last verse of chapter 10, verse 43, and all Israel with him back to Gilgal, back to the circle. Y'all circle up again and get ready. Chapter 11 comes. Now we get a new, a new destiny coming there, and it came to pass. Whatever you're going through, I want you to know something. It's going to pass. That's one of the favorite scriptures in there. It came to pass. It's going to come to pass. Give it to God and it's going to come to pass. It came to pass now that Jobin, the king of Hazor, heard these things. He sent for Jobab. And I'm going to tell you as a redneck country boy, when I read those things, I'm thinking, how are these the kings of the north, man? These are the kings of the south. That's Jim Bob and, and, and Joe Bob, you know. This, this isn't... this. This should be the southern kings. We got Joe Bob and Jim Bad up there. But, but these kings came and also some other ones. And they're, they're going to come. Now you know what's happening there? You see, whenever, whenever Joshua and God was making this. I, I think I mentioned it at the very beginning. I'm going to tell you the tactic that God used. And the, the people who study war studied this. And Napoleon use this same strategy that God did all the time by studying the Word of God. Whenever you've got a place of a battle to go to, you start in the middle and make a line of demarcation. And so they started at Gilgal, and they moved across Jericho and Ai, and then these five kings that we just talked about were the south. They put a borderline and made a stronghold and went south and took half of it first. When that part of the battle was done, they left a few forces in place to hold that. Then they started from that battle line and began moving north. So chapter 11 is now the conquest of the northern half of Canaan because they went to the southern half. Now, Joe Bob and Jim Bob says they've defeated these guys. We've got to come together to try to stop them. We're going to try to do like those other five kings and we're going to gather all of our powers together and maybe we will be able to stop them. And so that's, that's the idea of what's getting ready to, to hang on here. And so they all start getting together. They're going to... You know what that reminded me of? The devil is always relentless, isn't he? It, every time you, you win the battles of the lines, and then you win the battle of the south, his, his party of the north is going to come at you. All the time, it's going to be over and over and over. There, we're finally going to get to a time of small peace at the end of this chapter. But until then, there's hardly any time in your life that you really find in Christ, if you're doing His work, that you have much peace in life. It's constant, constant attack from north or south or east and west. And so here they all, they are all coming out after Him. And... It says that the kings of the north now, they're, they're in the plains of Chinneroth. Chinneroth is the Sea of Galilee. Chinneroth means a harp. And if you look at the Sea of Galilee on a map, it's kind of in the shape of a heart, and that's why, a harp, and that's why they called it that. And so, so they, they come, there's the Sea of Galilee there. And then verse 3, the, the Canaanites on the east and the west, and the Amorites and the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, they're in the mountains, the Hivites under Hermon in the land of Mizpah. No, we're going to get some deep on some things in Mizpah and Hermon 
and all of these words that's going on here. Um, we're going to gather up the horses, so to speak. Uh, speaking of horses, they come up in the next verse. Uh, they, went, they went all their hosts. That word host means warriors. That means the army. So all of the army now of the north, much people. I want you to know that whenever the Bible says much people, it means much people. Josephus, who some, he was a historian of the, of the Jews. Uh, he was not a follower of Jesus. He was actually under Rome's authority and kind of a traitor to, to uh, Israel. And so he wrote history from a neutral point, not from a biased point. And so that's why historians like to go back to his writings because it's almost like God used him to be able to put some things out there that we could learn from that, that coincides with the Word of God from a secular point of view that was unbiased. And Josephus wrote that, that the, the annals of war that had been handed down, that there was about 300,000 warriors of the north that was gathered there at the, at the battle when this is being brought. Along with, it's going to say in the next verse, at the end of four, horses and chariots. So the multitude was as the sands of the seashore. Probably over 300,000 warriors with all kinds of horses and chariots. If you were in the army, you know that that's your armored division. Okay, that's like your tanks and your, your hummers and your jeeps and your deuce and halves. I, I used to ride in a deuce and half. And they'd take you from one place to the other. So you, this is your armored carriers. And so you've got all of this coming up against you. What do you think God told Joshua to do? Whenever you look out and you see 300,000. I looked it up. You know how many Marines we have right now in the United States of America? 187,000. So we've got just about half. And the Marines for the United States is what they had. The Army is the biggest division with about 480,000 in the U.S. Army. And at that, we've got a little more people in the entire Army of America than what they had. Can you imagine Israel, Joshua, a few thousand men, 300,000 people are out here in the plain gathering up to come and get you. What do you think God has to tell you to do? Fear not. Fear not. God has to tell you to fear not because guess who's in charge? It ain't those guys, are they? He is. I am. Joshua, fear not. Don't look out there and see them. You look up and see me. That's what you need to do. So Joshua goes, all these chariots and everything that's there, fear not. Look at verse 6. The Lord said to Joshua, be not afraid of them. Because... Now here's another promise for tomorrow. <laughs> not next week, not, ne not sometime in the future like some vague prognosticators would say. God says definitely tomorrow about this time I will have delivered them all unto you. They will be slain before Israel. And whenever you get done, I want you to do something, Joshua. I want you to hamstring the horses and I want you to burn the chariots with fire. And then they all battled and came together against Israel. But they paused there at the waters of Miram. And they came suddenly, Joshua and the army of God, 
fell upon them at the waters of Merim, and the Lord delivered them into the hands of Israel, and they smote them. And then it talks about all the places that they're chasing them to, Zidon, which is Tyre and Sidon, and Mizrethpermain in the valley of Mizpah, and they left none remaining. Now, I want to tell you what happened, I believe, that the Holy Spirit is inferring here in this war. And I know there's a few horse people here. Horses. I know Miss Lisa's been around horses all her life. If horses are hooked up to chariots, and they are storming at you like whenever Pharaoh and Egypt was coming at them with the Red Sea behind them, and you saw all of the cloud of dust, that puts a lot of fear in you, doesn't it? That's the armored division coming at you. And you see all that. You hear the thunder of them driving. And you can see the fierceness of it. And that's intimidating. But the Holy Spirit tells us here as he's writing. That they're gathered together at the waters of Miram. So what that probably means is. That they were resting. They were watering the horses. Because you see the kings had to gather everyone from all across the place. Together together in one place. So they're watering the horses probably. I'm inferring from the scriptures. I want to keep repeating that. Because that's what I am seeing from it. Because when the horses are hitched and you got a bit in your mouth. You can kind of control them a little bit. But let me ask you what happens Eddie and Lisa, whenever you've got horses that are just standing around a, a water hole going de dope de dope de dope de dope and then Joshua comes with all of his uh, soldiers with then the horns of God with the shofars a-blowing and the noise of battle and they're all screaming, let's take it for the Lord and you come upon them suddenly, what happens to them horses? They spook, right? Don't spook the horses. But God says, look at them. 300,000 trusting in horses and chariots and their armored divisions. But I'm going to show you how I win a battle. I want you to come upon them suddenly when they're at the waters of Miram. And you're going to charge, and when you do chaos is going to break out. They no longer have horses and chariots. They don't work, do they? Because everything is going chaotic. And they came upon them suddenly and the Lord wins it. Whatever battle you're in, it may look hopeless and you're in a helpless situation. But as long as you've got God, you're already going to be a victor. It doesn't matter what is gathered out there against you. And I'm going to tell you what God, it says... And afterwards, I want you to hamstring the horses so they're going to cut the tendon there that makes them run and makes them strong. And I want you to burn the chariots of fire with fire. You know why? Because I don't want you to take those things and start trusting in them instead of me. They trust in that. I want to give you a couple of psalms as a reference here. Psalm chapter 20. Verse 6 beginning says this. Now I know. See, the Lord wants you to know. If you know the word of God and know his promises, you can rest upon those things. And he says, I want you to know. And I want you to know something. That it is the Lord that saves his anointed. It is the Lord that is going to be with you. And you and I. And he will answer from his holy heaven. 
that's Gilgal, with saving strength of his right hand, some trust in what, verse 7? Horses and chariots. Some trust in horses and chariots, but we, you and I, we're supposed to remember the name of the Lord our God. When they have all bowed down and fallen, we will have risen and stand upright. So save, O Lord, and may the King answer us when we call to Him. How about Psalm 33? It says this, I, I'm going to study this whole psalm with you one day because it's just beautiful with the power that's in it. But it says, beginning in verse 12, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord God. As long as this nation will stay underneath the hand of God, we will be a nation that's blessed. But we are quickly becoming a nation not under the hand of God because we're so choosing. So as we're in prayer for weekday religious education, we're going to be in prayer that this country remains under the hand of God. And that it's God, because if you want to be blessed as a nation, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord God. Verse 16, no king... That means our president, that means these five kings, these kings of the north, kings of the south, no king is saved by the multitude of their army. Not a mighty man can deliver himself by his own strength and a horse. <laughs> a horse is a vain hope for safety because they are spooked, they are unruly, they are hard to handle. But... It's not going to be delivered in those ways, but our soul, verse 20. Our soul waits upon the Lord God who is our help and our shield. And our heart shall rejoice in Him. And we trust in His holy name. Let your mercy then, O Lord God, be upon us as we hope in you. There's our prayer of what we're going to do. Praise God. Horses are vain. Chariots are useless. Our hope is in the Lord God. So then the battle rages on. Joshua fights them and they go down to Mount Hermon there. And in verse 17 it says, notice Mount Hermon again in verse 17. And in 21, Joshua cuts off the Anakim from the mountains. Only until the only ones that are left are a few remnants that go to Gaza and to Gath and to Ashdod. Do you all remember who the Anakim are? Giants. You remember whenever Joshua and Caleb 40 years ago with the 12 spies went into the land and they came back with the report, there are giants in the land and we are but grasshoppers in their sight and so were we to them. You see how God is changing their position from the world is so big and powerful to my God is so big and powerful. He is now conquering all of these giants that was in the land that had kept them from going in and taking what was already theirs and rightfully theirs before that point. Now, the reason I'm saying Mount Hermon again and Mizpah and Anakims, and you're saying, what's that got to do with the price of eggs in China? Well, it's got everything to do with it because right now that's an enemy, I could say that. But... There's a lot of things happening in the news and in this world today that's going on. How many know at the end of the month what is supposed to supposedly be a revealing, a disclosure, so to speak? It's all over the news. What, what kind of disclosure? Anyone know? Huh? 
I don't, I don't watch it either, but I still see headlines on different things. I don't watch it or, or do any of those. But I keep seeing everywhere something about UFO disclosures and aliens. And you've been seeing that? Uh, the, the government called for a, an inquiry into all of this. And to, uh, oh, now, there, now there's people starting to say, oh, they, we, we're seeing, they're starting to bombard you now. They started the slow disclosure a couple of years ago. And now it's getting faster and faster. And now they're supposed to, don't believe a word of what they're going to say. Reason I'm, I'm telling you that at this point, I want to share something with you next week, so I'm making an advertisement. Same bat time, same bat channel next week. Come back, because I want to take a little bit of things that's in the news with aliens and UFOs and different things, and I'm going to insert it right here as part of this enemy thing, and, it, and I'll tell you why. The church needs to know the truth. We need to know the truth about what's going on and not what they want us to know. Whenever the disciples came to Jesus and they said, Lord, when is the end and what's the sign of thy coming and when shall all these things be? Do you know what the first words of Jesus were? Let no man deceive you. He uses the word deceive we end up preaching next week's lesson. Let no man deceive you. And he uses it four or five times in that Olivet Discourse as he continues to go on. The first fall in the garden that brought us into the shape we're in with sin in the world was because the serpent was the most subtle creature that was out there. And he, what, Eve, deceived her. So deception is the name of the game and it's been working since Genesis chapter 3 and it's working today and all of the powers of darkness that we've been translated from and into the kingdom of God is trying to deceive us and they're going to be telling you some things I don't know what they're going to be telling you yet I just know that as all of these headlines and a lot of the Christian men that I watch they're all starting to talk about this. And I come to the point to where we're at Miram and Mishpeth Raim. And we're at Mount Hermon. Go ahead and give me the, the next one. I'm going to tell you what happens at Mount Hermon. I told you I was going to get there. I almost forgot. I get wound up. I almost forgot. Mount Hermon. Mount Hermon. Jesus in chapter 16 of Matthew. He he is there and he just has another battle with those people who are trying to deceive. The Sadducees and the Pharisees. And they've been battling at it again. And he leaves. And he, they get out there and he asks his disciples, Who are people saying that I the Son of Man am? And they said, Oh, well, some say that you're John the Baptist. Some say Elijah or Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He goes, Well, I don't care really what they're saying then. What do you folks say that I am? What do you, who do you think I am? And Peter shouts up and he says, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And he said, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father, which is in heaven. And based upon that rock, that principle of truth, I am going to build my church, 
and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. When Jesus said those words, you know where he was standing? It had said in the beginning that he had just now crossed over to the other side after leaving the Sadducees and the Pharisees. He crossed over to the other side. And when he said those words outside of Caesarea Philippi, he was standing at the feet of Mount Hermon. Same place that Joshua is going to be standing in this valley of Esdralon. Which is also known to us as Armageddon. You see, Mount Hermon, it means the sanctuary place of the fallen ones. And it was known as the gates of the underworld. That's what they called it. That's where they had all of the temples to like the God Pan of the wilderness. And the different things was upon that mountain. That's where the scholars think that the angelic infiltration came in Genesis chapter 6. When in the days of Noah, the angels crossed over and came in to here. They think that it all started through the gates of hell at Mount Hermon. And so since the Lord has brought us into our study with Mount Hermon, the waters of Miram, I'll tell you what those mean too next week. The Mitzrayim, you know what, the, the, down in, the, in the, that, that long word of Mitzrayim, it means the burning waters. So they're gathered around the burning waters, also known as, I would think, as a Christian today, the lake of what? So we've got all of these forces gathered around at the just like it's going to be in that final time of Revelation and the, you're going to have a lake of fire involved and you're going to have a battle with all of the kings of the north that come together against the people of God. I told you in the beginning of Joshua that Joshua is a replay of Ephesians and Revelation. That it's showing you in advance physically what's going to happen and what's taking place and all of that. And then the Anakim, the giants... I want to tell you next week what's going on in this world. There ain't no aliens. But the Lord said that as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the coming of the Son of Man. And so as all of those things were happening then, it looks like it might... I can't say for sure. I'm not a prophet. The Lord just allows me to learn His Word and teach it. But I continue to be amazed of where he puts us at in studies compared to what's happening in the world so that we can make applications. And so all I'm going to do is give you some truth about studies. Aliens have been a part of this world ever since it was created. But God called them fallen angels. It was Satan who was there with Eve. Who, who was it that was bombarding Christ at that time? Who was it that infiltrated in Genesis chapter 6? All of these things, the world might want to tell you it's aliens. But God says these are evil entities that's here to deceive you and to lead you away from my truth. And so all I'm going to do is try to teach you some truth so that we're not deceived because I have no idea what might be coming our way and what's going to be disclosed But I want you to know the truth before they do so that you won't be deceived by what they're going to tell you, okay?
So as we get ready to close and our worship team comes on up, I'm just going to skip all the way through. We're, we're, we're there. Worship team comes on up and we close. I, I got a, a wrap up of, of some things that we can think about that we can take away from today in our study in the word of God. Start with the church. We're called out from that kingdom. That kingdom of deceit, that kingdom of darkness, that kingdom that wants to trap you and keep a hold of you. We have been called out by the gospel and the truth of the word of God from that into the kingdom of his dear son and unto the light. We are called by that and we are now not a part of that. We've been translated into the kingdom of God and don't you ever forget it. As a member of the Lord's kingdom, you're members of his army just like those who was following Joshua. We are supposed to be taking the battle to the nations. Do you see that Joshua did not sit back and wait for all of them. He started at Jericho. He started at Ai. And it's because he was battling that they came after him. But he kept every time at uh, Miram here and all these places, it says he came upon them suddenly. The five kings of, of the south, it was he came upon them suddenly. Here at the north, suddenly. Every time they were gathering together because he was a, the one advancing and on the, the offense, they finally started coming against it and he would surprise them and keep going. Why? We're supposed to be on the offensive. We're not supposed to be just sitting back and going, oh, God helps us. And I hope that every... We're supposed to be taking the word of the kingdom to the folks, to the nation. And when we do that, we're going to win some, but we're going to turn a lot against us, just like he did. But God is going to provide victory through that. And victory is souls being saved and translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his precious son. We've got to learn the promises of God. And when we learn the promises of God and the word of God becomes more real to you than what you see. The promise of God was more real to Joshua than the 300,000 troops and the chariots and the horses. It was more real to him than the world continuing spinning for another day and going into nightfall. The promise of God that I've already delivered him meant that God will do anything to ensure His victory. And so we must know His promises for us today. We have to take those. And that kind of faith that we see generated in Him needs to be at work in us and the body of Christ today. And in faith then, as soldiers, we take it to the enemy. We take that gospel of the good news of Jesus and the forgiveness of sins to them. And then through him, he will snatch them also out of danger and unto himself and translate them. And the powers and darkness and the gates of hell shall not prevail against us as we do that. And then in the meantime, we have to learn and do, learn and do, learn and do. The greatest thing you can do as in your Christian walk is to learn and do. Learn the word. Learn the promises. Learn how I'm supposed to act. How I'm supposed to handle myself in this life. Who I'm supposed to be. And do it. We learn and do until he comes. And then we're going to gain some more insight next week. 
as, as we prepare to not be deceived by the enemy. So Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for these illustrations of life and faith that we might have hope. Pray, Father, that these words become truth unto us. I pray that if there are any that are here this day who have not chosen your son, they have not listened to that gospel message like those folks in Acts 2 when Peter said that this same Lord, that the same Jesus that was crucified, God has made him Lord in Christ. And when they heard those words, they changed their mind about the situation they were in and they wanted to be a part of the team of the Lord and his kingdom. And they arose and they were baptized and they called on the name of the Lord and the Lord then translated them from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his son. If there is anyone here, Father, who has not done that, we have everything prepared to help them to do that. All they've got to do is come forward this morning and let us know when we begin to praise you in song. For the rest of us that have done that and we are part of the army and we are part of the kingdom, may we, Father, take all of these things to heart. May we fully trust in your word. May it become more real than the things that we see. May it become alive and powerful within us. May you be able to use us as your soldiers to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ and to change the world one soul at a time. Help us in that battle, Father. Give us that strength. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.